Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Big week for Bruce. Uh, his latest book, Flip the Script with Ed Ogeron, is now available anywhere you buy books. Um, came out this week, and while there is some college football news we definitely need to discuss in, involving Wisconsin, um, I just thought this would be a good opportunity, Bruce, for you to talk a little bit about the book. Um, I read it, I enjoyed it, and uh, and I have a couple things that I want to highlight from it, but um, why, first of all, why don't you tell people how it came together? Obviously, you know, you've known him since uh, Meat Market, but how did this one come together? Well, it, it is about, kind of connects back to Meat Market. So uh, I did that book in 2007, and it was really fascinating to work on, and I learned a ton beyond just recruiting about how college football programs run and so I had kept in touch with Ogeron over the years and obviously when he was the interim head coach at USC I, I was around you know a decent amount there because I lived not far from USC and I would get asked a lot over the years hey are you ever going to do a sequel to Meat Market I love that book this or that and I just didn't think I was going to because I just didn't think I had I, the story was right, or it would I would have the energy to do it the right way, and I think those stories really are dependent on having unique access where you can sh- actually tell stuff that even the diehard fans have no clue about their program because because you're on the inside and you've talked to coaches and players and been in meetings and been at practices and that sort of thing. So, you know, that was always kind of like a didn't seem realistic, and then about eighteen months ago. Uh, Ogeron had been really effusive in talking about this young offensive assistant he had hired from the NFL. And obviously that was Joe Brady. Uh, I went down there in April of 2019 and spent the week at LSU and sat in meetings and went to practices and spent some time with, with Joe Brady and talked to players and everything. And I came away convinced they are really on to something and there this is going to be way different than we've heard this before at LSU this is really going to be the difference so I did a Joe Brady feature for the athletic um that spring which was interesting just because nobody had talked to Joe Brady before at all at any point and he was kind of a new name and you know I just remember the reactions you get from the state of the program and people are like yeah we've heard this before Cam Cameron we've heard this before Matt Canada all this other stuff You know, I'll believe it when I see it. But I started working on a book proposal then, and it was basically the sequel to Meat Market. And so that book proposal is what Flip the Script is. And, you know, it was a really amazing ride to do it just because the way I looked at it was, no, I didn't think they were going to win a national title. I I don't want to go that far and say I expected that. But when I just looking at Ed Ogeron's uh, career arc, we're talking about a guy who got fired after three, you know, spectacular failure at at Ole Miss in three seasons. Now he did some, he did recruit well, but he never got a chance to really coach most of those players. And then because of his background, because of his life, in terms of you know having been an assistant at Miami under Jimmy Johnson and all sorts of issues that happened for him off the field, as he realizes he cannot handle alcohol and. 
he is now battling addiction. And so loses his job, is back home living in his parents' house in the room he was, you know, grew up in and feels like he's lost everything. Well, he's been 20 years sober now, but I think all those lessons he learned from those hard questions he had to ask himself because he's dealing with recovery, I think probably made him more open to change and to evolve in a way that a lot of football coaches really don't. So that's really part of this. That's a big part of Flip the Script and and at the core of what this story is and what this book is. So would this book have happened? Because I think people would assume, oh, this is the story of LSU's national title run. And certainly it's in there and there's a lot of great details people might not know. But it sounds like what you're saying is you you were set to write a book about him and his career and his comeback story even if they had i don't know lost in the sec channel lost in the semifinal. um the the moment for me when i was like the book is made because i like i said i you know it doesn't take you know it takes a little while to work on a book proposal and to market something and to market an idea and develop it but when they beat alabama i was like that's it i got a book at that moment because as you know you know Alabama had been this huge mountain for them. After that, anything else was gravy to it. Now, I was pretty sure they were going to beat Georgia, and I was pretty sure they were going to crush Oklahoma because I had seen Oklahoma up close, and I knew they were a bad matchup. But I remember leaving Mercedes-Benz Stadium after the Oklahoma game and thinking, whoever they play, they're not getting beat just because... I remember changing my pick. Initially, I was like, oh, Clemson's you know just too good, and Trevor Lawrence and this and that. And I was like, uh-uh. I've seen this team now, and I know... Like, I've seen them on the field an hour before kickoff, and I've seen them, and they're the exact same way as they are at a Wednesday practice. They're really focused, but they're really loose and really confident. And, it, and I, you know, like, I spent five years as a sideline reporter. I was down on the field. I've seen lots of teams before games. I've never seen a team like that. And so, you know, after Alabama, I was like, I got a book. And then the question was going to be, you know, is it the book of – a coach who's a national championship coach or is it just the book with an amazing a coach with an amazing backstory unfortunately it you know ended up being both so you know like you said i mean a, a good chunk of this book is about his um his upbringing his his successes and then his i mean the, th- the good thing about coach o is he's very candid and he talks pretty candidly about what went wrong at Ole miss and um i mean one part that definitely stands out is we knew that he really wanted that USC job when he was the interim coach, and then they went with uh, Sark. But some pretty candid comments in there about that whole situation. Yeah, and it was—I think it's the first time he ever really went into detail about how that played out with Pat Hayden. And I think if you're a USC fan, not all of them feel this way, but I think there's a bunch going, "Oh, great, thanks, Pat Hayden," where he basically is telling him he's going to get the job, and he has a contract made up, and then. Hey, I'll call you on Sunday and get your suits ready. And then all of a sudden, they they really have a clunker of performance and get 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 drilled by UCLA. And then they, he, Pat Hayden doesn't call him. And then the players and the coaches are crying and and felt like it was a, somebody in their family had died. And so I you know I talked to a bunch of people um, on the USC side for this. And and there's a pretty powerful quote from Antoine Woods, who's a former defensive lineman there on that team about what that atmosphere was like and you know i talked to some other guys hayes pollard as well the hayes pollard quote was strong but it was you know it was like almost felt like we had so much it was going to be overkill to include three or four quotes including from other guys on staff but i think that was the part that was such a jolt 
to him was, wait a minute, you know, like, I should have this job. I've earned it. And everybody else here knows it, but Pat Hayden. And it's because I'm not, you know, as he, you know, it's not, not the country club type or whatever that Pat Hayden thinks should be the USC pro coach. And then all of a sudden they, he goes, wait, you know, they hire Sark and Sark turns out to be a spectacular failure for them. Um, and so it blows up in Hayden's face. And honestly, it's been, you know, with the exception of like a, a little bit of Sam Darnold, it's been kind of reeling and underwhelming pretty much ever since. So then he gets into a similar situation at LSU where he's the interim coach and he has success and wants the job, but the AD's got his eyes on on flashier names. And uh, I thought another interesting, you know, we always knew, you know, that, that 48-hour period or so when LSU and Texas were both vying for Tom Herman. Um, what, you know, how much do you think that that, kind of burned him like fuel him maybe a little bit that in his mind the the ideal coach is just sitting there right under Joe Oliva's nose and he's going after other people you know I think at that point he was almost numb to some of that stuff because I think he had been so worn down by what other people think I'm not sure like you know he and I talked a lot and some of it was for the book and some of it was off the record too when they beat Texas last year, I wondered, you know, looking back, you know, was that any more special to him? Because Tom Herman was the one who was, who was a lot of people was, was the hot coach then. And, you know, they're playing Texas A&M on Thanksgiving night and, and ESPN and other people are reporting about Tom Herman and LSU. And, you know, I knew Tom Herman was a GA at, at Texas and had the reverence for and the connection to Texas in ways that he just didn't seem to have for LSU. But obviously there was some leverage going on there um, because Charlie Strong was in trouble and everything like that. But I'm not sure, like at that point, he was, Ed Ogeron was that worked up about, yeah, Tom Herman. I mean, look, it's not played out great for Tom Herman at Texas. I don't really think... If you were to ask Ogeron, uh, you know, on truth serum, I, I don't think he really cares that Tom Herman is not is, is really struggling at Texas and he's won a national championship at LSU. I think, it, you know, the way his mind works now, I think he's kind of like, I'm not going to let myself think that way. You know, there was an interesting quote he gave me, you know, after they win the national title, which basically was like, you know, did he feel vindicated? And he was like, I know better than to, to think those kinds of thoughts. And it surprised me because it's like, you know, you've been mocked and made fun of and you get the last laugh. And he is, you know, I think he's disciplined enough to know, yeah, that's an instinct that I have, but I can't share it because it doesn't do me any good. So I think that, you know, to me, that kind of circles back to the Tom Herman you know, and not being the first choice for LSU. Plus, he knows Pete Carroll was like the fifth choice at, at USC. And really all that matters is you ended up getting the job, not that you were not their first one. Well, he may be able to hold it back on Tom Herman. Uh, he His, his uh, feelings about Matt Canada are made pretty evident in here now. For those that, that don't remember this, he gets the full-time job in, in after the 2016 season and and he was determined to to open that offense up, and so he hires uh, Matt Canada as the OC. Matt Canada, known for his unconventional formations and all that thing, but you know they didn't have a good year that year. That's the year they lost to Troy, and 
his description. I mean, I, one thing I, I will say is that if I'm a member of the 2017, like if I'm, you know, graduated, long gone, and I was a member of the 2017 team, and I'm reading that book, you can tell he was not very fond of that team in that season, uh, and in particular Matt Canada. How did that go so wrong? Well, I just think, he, look, Lane Kiffin, as people will see in Flip the Script, played an instrumental part in Ed Ogeron actually getting the job at LSU. Because when Ogeron, you know, has his interview after they beat Texas A&M the, the next morning, it's really not an interview at all. Uh, Joe Oliva tells him, as we say in the book, I got to go see Tom Herman. And, you know, this is all of a sudden Tom Herman's actually, you know, he's got a game that day or he's got a game then. And there's just a lot of balls up in the air, right? And so Lane Kiffin, he, you know, calls Joe Oliva. And basically is like, they start talking about, remember, Lane's at Alabama at that point. Lane's going to be Ed's offensive coordinator. And Joe Oliva's sitting there thinking, well, if I have Lane Kiffin in that offense and Dave Aranda in that defense and Ed Ogeron with his motivation and recruiting skills, that's going to be a pretty, you know, pretty tough combination to beat. I may want to do that. Well, then Lane tells him, listen, I'm, you know, I'm coming unless I get a head coaching job. And Lane was in the mix for Houston, didn't get it. But then Lane, Lane circles back on him. He's like, I got to take this FAU call and meets with FAU. And obviously the rest of that is history. And then Ogeron felt like I had to have somebody else. Well, here's Matt Canada, who was a hot name at the time, had done really well in this year at Pitt. And he goes there. And it just, it's just not a good fit at all. And it was a rocky, rocky moment. And the thing was, it was like in the book, and I don't want to say necessarily who it was, but one of the players I talked to was very critical of Canada in there um, and, the, and the dynamic that was there on offense. And, you know, we, we talked about it. And it was like, you know what, I'm not going to get into that there because it's not that, you know, it's, it's really, you know, Ed Ogeron's name's on the front of it, not this particular player. So I'm going to, you know, pull back on that, including that. But it was a, it was just a bad fit all the way around. And I think by the end of it, I think he knew early on this is not working out. And I think from that, it just kind of, it kind of, um, you know, it just kind of went sour fast. I think the one thing I took away most. Stu from that 2017 season was I knew a little bit about Duke Riley and he was a solid player at LSU I did not know how critical a role he had really in Duke Riley's you know now in the NFL but like he had a big role I think in them winning a national title last year because the speech he gives when their season is in a tailspin and the locker room is really seems to be kind of rudderless among the players um was pretty powerful and so to kind of get into that depth I think like that's something I'm not sure how many LSU fans had any understanding of or any recognition of so I mean that 2017 season was fascinating on a lot of fronts and quite honestly for me I didn't know anything other than I knew that Matt Canada or Ed Ogeron relationship was 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 turbulent I didn't know the degrees of everything else that had gone on around it in addition to that so then in 2018, Joe Burrow comes in and, and everything changes from there. Um, the only thing, you know, I'm not, we don't need to relive the, the national title season here. Uh, we've talked about it plenty in real time. But one interesting thing to me was when he got signed, as, when they signed him as a grad transfer, at least on the outside, I think everybody just assumed he'd be the starting quarterback. 
And I, I didn't realize until reading it in the book, that's definitely not how the players felt uh, initially. And no. there was a little bit of drama, quite a bit of drama in that preseason, you know, once it once he began to emerge as the, the leader. Right. The players wanted Justin McMillan, who, by the way, ended up at Tulane. And a lot of people thought, hey, Miles Brennan was a big recruit. And, hey, this guy, Joe Burrow, he hadn't done anything. And... So he was like, hey, I got to I gotta let this work itself out the way it needs to work itself out. And I'm just not just going to anoint him. And so there was an interesting moment where two of the four quarterbacks, Lowell Narcisse, who's now, I think, a starter at UTSA, and, and McMillan, are leave the team within, within 24 hours. And it gets really a lot of, you know, this is players-only meetings and everything else. And so I had asked, I was wrong, what happened? He goes, I didn't, you know, I trusted the leadership council I had, but I don't know exactly what went on the players only meeting. And so it was interesting just as, you know, behind the scenes stuff for the book, I was fighting the editor or lobbying the editor. I was like, I need these quotes in there from Foster Morrow, who was a tight end on the team and a leader on the team and Joe Burrow, because, you know, Ed Ogeron's perspective of what happened in a critical players only meeting, if he wasn't in it and he doesn't know what happened, I need to have the guys who actually were in there to explain what happened. And so to me, that was a, you know, is a, is a key piece of, you know, in Flip the Script of how that was built. Because it, like you said, it was really, really a rocky moment in that program at that point. And, you know, like, remember, he was, people thought he was going to get fired that year. He was on the hot seat, you know, in the SEC t- chatter kind of things. And, um, you know, when you have multiple players only meetings, that sounds like it's not a good thing. And so, you know, I think this gives people a window into actually what happened when things were really trying, you know, like trying and turbulent there. And yeah, I should mention, while this book is probably 90, 95% the voice of Coach O, you do have these quotes throughout, these like highlighted quotes from some of, you know, other people, whether it's his his sons or uh, his you know, other coaches or Joe Burrow. I mean, Joe Burrow himself has a lot of, as you get towards the end, a lot of pull quotes. So you do hear from other people that were involved throughout this this time. So again, um, I mean, first of all, I just admire the fact that you keep churning out these books, having done one, one and a half myself. They are not easy and, and yours, I think, require a lot more legwork. So congratulations and everybody. Thank you. Um, Go on Amazon or, or whatever and buy Flip the Script. Um, in college football this week, obviously the big news, uh, Wisconsin. First it was the news that, that, that Bruce confirmed, actually, that Graham Mertz, the starting quarterback, who had the big game Friday night, had tested positive. And in the Big Ten, that means 21 days, not 10. Um, and then the outbreak reached the point where it's 12 members of the program, including Paul Christ, and it happened in a hurry. So Wisconsin decides to uh, put things on hold for seven days, and of course that includes canceling the uh, Nebraska game. Um, you know, I think this was a really sobering moment in the Big Ten because they really thought that this daily, and, and by the way, I thought it too, daily rapid testing would prevent something like this, that you would isolate the player. If somebody tests positive, you isolate them quickly enough before they can spread it to the team. But clearly that didn't happen here, and now – you know, one game is canceled, and certainly the next game against Purdue is in question now. Right. And we got to see, you know, obviously you hope that the 12 members of the program 
uh, don't have significant issues or, you know, have no, hopefully have no symptoms, but you also have to hope that it's only 12 now. I mean, we don't know what's going to go forward. Is it going to go up to 20? Is it going to like, we saw it's the spread at Baylor. We saw the numbers just take off at Florida when they had to, when they had to uh, postpone the, the LSU game and everything else that, you know, has, has happened there. And so also keep in mind that just, and I didn't realize this until just reading more about Wisconsin in general, like that is an area right now where it's being hit really hard by COVID. The cases are surging, the hospitalizations are surging there. So hopefully, um, things can get, get under control better, um, as, as this is going and you have to hope that, you know, it was, you know, Wisconsin, certainly the big 10 has to have its fingers crossed that they can play a game against Purdue uh, uh, next week, because again, they still may be playing with their four string quarterback at that point, Danny Vandenboom. I mean, because as you said, minimum of 21 days, uh, it's going to be really, really interesting to see how the big 10 handles this um, going forward, because, you know, I think we're really un- in uncharted waters. We've said that before about these things, but especially given how strict the Big Ten protocols are. And the fact that they, you know, the, the, the whole plan was, I mean, the fact that they came back so late that they didn't put a bye week in. I mean, this game is canceled. There's no moving it to December 12th like some of the other conferences have done. So if Wisconsin ends up having a second game canceled, they would still meet the minimum. It's a six-game minimum to qualify for the Big Ten title game, but it's just going to be all sorts of messy uh, if they're playing six and others are playing, uh, or I guess seven. They would play seven in, in the other. No, yes, seven, but the others would be playing eight or nine. Um, but yeah, about Barry Alvarez. I mean, first first of all, Wisconsin was very transparent about all this. They Barry Alvarez and Paul Christ had a a Zoom call on Wednesday, and Barry Alvarez said. Because look, they didn't. They hadn't reached a threshold where they had to cancel the game. The Big Ten's policy is based on um, positive test rate, and they hadn't reached the point where, I mean, they decided that to, to make this choice and to be cautious. And um, he said, "Look, in the first month of doing these daily tests, we had one positive. In the five days since the game, we've had twelve. So we needed. We felt we needed to. And Baylor made this decision. Others have made this decision. You need to shut it down for a week and, and quarantine everybody." to to stop the spread um all sorts of conspiracy theories now from nebraska of course that they were ducking this game they didn't want to play without you know didn't want to play the game with the fourth string quarterback in an interesting wrinkle nebraska tried to schedule a game against chattanooga in its place and got shot down by the big 10 not surprisingly um it's been uh it's been an interesting few months in the big 10 to say the least in terms of uh some of the uh uh some of the things that have come out of Nebraska, some of the trust issues, I would say. I've got people in my mentions who think, oh, if this happened to Ohio State, they would have let them play. Um, I don't think they would have. I think they put in the conference-only rule for a reason. So um, we'll see. I mean, I don't think we're done having games postponed in any conference, that's for sure, especially with COVID spiking the way it is. Um, but you could have some really – I mean that there you're going to have some division titles I assume to, to, that are going to get decided by win percentage. You know, you could have uh you know 6 and 0 Wisconsin getting in over 6 and 1 Purdue and they didn't get to play each other and people will be furious about that. 
Yeah, I think that's just the reality of this crazy 2020. And I, I don't see it, you know, look, there's going to be more curveballs coming down the pike. If we think this is the last one, I think we're, we're kidding ourselves. Uh, last thing, what's the one game this weekend you're most looking forward to? Uh, you know what? For me, it's actually Texas at Oklahoma State. I know Texas has been kind of, has been really, not kind of, has been really struggling. Uh, Oklahoma State, I'm starting to buy in a little more. Their defense looks really good. I want to see that because I feel like some of these other more marquee, you know, I don't think Michigan State's going to hang with Michigan. I don't think Penn State's built to hang right now with Ohio State. To me, that's the one I'm I'm kind of interested. I want to find out what Oklahoma State, if, if they can take the next step or not stub their toe. Yeah, it'll certainly be, the defense has been great. This will certainly be the biggest challenge to them in terms of facing Sam Ellinger. For me, it's LSU-Auburn, uh, and I know they're unranked, and they both have two losses, but this is, this is one of those SEC swing games where whoever win, whoever loses the the fan base is going to just absolutely freak out if if the defending national champs have three losses already or if Auburn I mean Gus Malzahn's always on the hot seat right if they have three losses and 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 by the way Auburn could very easily have three losses or more right now I mean they've they've benefited from some some officiating errors in crucial times more than once now but um I have no idea who's going to win that game no idea uh, they both have issues. They both have some reasons to feel hopeful. Um, certainly LSU more so after last week. So um, it's kind of the game to see who will. Um, I mean, I think we know Al- we, we we assume Alabama is going to win the division. So it's not like this is for division title stakes necessarily, but kind of who can still salvage their season. Yeah, big test for T.J. Finley, the true freshman quarterback. Looked really good against South Carolina, but now he has to go on the road. Uh, obviously against Auburn. And, and look, Kevin Steele gave LSU probably more trouble on defense last year than any other coordinator did in that run. So we'll see what he, we'll see what he has for, for TJ Finley. All right. Enjoy the games, everybody, this weekend. And again, bye. Flip the script. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.